Stampede! Garner isn't number 31. enough enough well if you're talking about individual endeavors it's often a measurement for each person for some people enough isn't enough they sometimes think they're just getting started then again some people don't know what they're doing so enough doesn't enter into the equation in Las Vegas you can see a lot of that I once watched a woman at a roulette table throw away $30,000 in half an hour, sitting at a table desperately betting, trying, barely aware of what she was doing. The croupier had to intercede and tell her to stop. She began crying and said she was recently married and didn't know how to tell her husband what she had just done. Of course, $30,000 isn't much to some people. 
I once questioned the employee of the Bellagio Hotel Casino while she closed the use of a roulette table after two French men had exclusively been playing. It wasn't a closed private room where some very heavy players wanted privacy. No, this was a table set up on the open floor of the casino where the public could watch two men betting, and it attracted a large crowd. Some of the spins at the wheel involved thirty, forty, sixty thousand dollars at a turn. Afterwards, I cornered the woman casino employee, trying to pump her for some information about what I had just seen. I had thought it was a come on. Perhaps the two Frenchmen were setups to get people on the floor, all juiced up to play after watching hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing on the table. I asked her if they were for real, and she said, Yeah, they fly in their own jet from Europe to play once or twice a year, and we give them a table. Like I said, enough is sometimes not enough. I still can remember them smoking cigars, plunking down thousand-dollar chips in what appeared to have some method. One of them kept a record of every number that came up from the turn of the wheel. It was a grinding process. Sometimes they'd hit it big, and the crowd would applaud. Other times, the table was cleared without them winning anything. I'd forgotten how it ended and whether they came out ahead. But I recall talking to the Bellagio representative, confirming they were legitimate gamblers and weren't chills designed to get people juiced up to gamble. There really aren't any shortages of people wanting to gamble. In fact, I remember another instant, watching at a different roulette table, I saw a man sit down and place for the first time a thousand-dollar chip on a single number, and it hit. With one bet, he won over $35,000. I tried to engage him in conversation while he continued to play with his winnings. I asked him where he was from, and he said he ran a dairy farm in Wisconsin. But I knew he was lying because he had a distinctive New York City accent. I left to return the following night and asked the man running the table if he remembered the guy that hit his $1,000 bet the previous night. He replied by saying he continued to play and ended up losing all he had won and then lost about 10 grand more. Yeah, enough just isn't enough for some people. Vegas has a lot of that going on. Recently, I was trying to dig up some music and ran across some information about Paul Whiteman's orchestra during the 1920s. More specifically, the Rhythm Boys, who Whiteman used during his shows. Whiteman was a very successful band leader 
during the jazz age of the 20s. And I loved listening to a recording made by the Rhythm Boys with Irene Taylor singing a popular song, Mississippi Mud. Now, if you've been listening to Garner Isn't, you know I've been telling you people I don't play music in the show to entertain you. I don't think you deserve it. I actually play music for myself to relax me because I get tired of pounding the table about what you aren't willing to accept. 
at any rate, the Rhythm Boys and Paul Whiteman aren't what I want to talk about. They're only secondary to this story. It's about enough and whether enough is enough. Maybe you've been told something about the 1920s. You may have heard stories about the Great Depression. In fact, my grandmother told me stories of how she and her family lost their home, and my grandfather had to beg for work. So that's something about enough being enough. But to return to Paul Whiteman and the Rhythm Boys, as I said before, Whiteman was very popular in 1929, and he was approached by Universal Studios to make a movie called King of Jazz. The president of Universal Studios was owned by a man named Carl Lemley. Carl was born in Germany in 1864 and migrated to Chicago where he began selling dry goods. And this is where I have to digress. In 1900, the technology and discipline of photography had changed the way history was recorded. It began in 1826 or 1827 with the French inventor Joseph Niepce producing the first known image with a camera using light-sensitive material. That historic image is owned by the Harry Ransom Center in Austin, Texas. Neves called it a heliograph, or sun writing. Several other processes evolved for producing still images. The calotype, the daguerreotype, the collodion, and the tintype. And then in 1878, Edward Mybridge developed a method of putting motion into recorded still images. It was of a man on a horseback racing forward. It's famously referred to as Sally Gardner, the name of the horse, and it was photographed in Palo Alto, California, which later was to become the site of Stanford University. At the time, the governor of California, Leland Stanford, also called the robber baron, had placed a bet with some friends about a controversial debate, whether a galloping horse ever had all four hoofs off the ground at the same time. Governor Stanford owned racehorses and offered Mybridge $25,000 if he could prove a horse's four hooves left the ground all at once. This resulted in the projection of the first motion images of still photographs, and in future years was to be developed into cinematography. In this case, enough was enough. The $25,000 was paid my bridge.
So this takes me back to Carl Lemley, who in the beginning of the 20th century started Nickelodeon businesses, five-cent movies, usually run out of converted storefronts. It was estimated that by 1910, millions of Americans had been entertained seeing these silent moving images, often accompanied by someone playing a piano or even a drummer. The Nickelodeon industry challenged live performances found in large theaters with vaudeville performers, and it was the child of what we call the motion picture industry today. Carl Limley ended up being a big part of that. By 1930, he had built a large motion picture studio in California, as well with offices in New York and productions in Europe. He built Universal Pictures, which is today owned by Comcast through the NBC Universal Film and Entertainment Division of its wholly owned subsidiary, NBC Universal. Clearly, what Carl Lemley started with his Nickelodeon storefront businesses wasn't enough. And this is what I'm getting at. Lemley stepped down from being the head of Universal Pictures and appointed his son, Carl Jr., in 1928 to run the business. Universal had made some great pictures The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Phantom of the Opera. And in 1927, Charles Mintz signed a contract with Universal to produce 26 animated films called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Produced from Mintz's studio called Winkler Pictures, Walt Disney and Oob the Works created the character Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and it was very successful. But when signing a new contract with Universal, Mintz lowered Disney's and the work's take. So while completing the new Oswald the Lucky Rabbit contracts, Disney and the works developed a different character of their own called Mickey Mouse and started their own studio. It's interesting to note when looking at the image of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, you can't help seeing the genesis of Mickey Mouse. Oswald was meant to be a rabbit, but was to become Mickey Mouse's father. In this case, enough certainly wasn't enough. But again, that's not what I want to talk about. Carol Jr. produced the movie King of Jazz in 1930 when the Depression was happening in America. Thank you.
night and you're feeling out of tune. Take up your hat, close up your flat, get out and get under the moon. Underneath the bright silvery light, you'll be feeling better soon. Take up your hat, close up your flat, get out and get under the moon. Look, look, look at the stars above, look, look, look at those sweeties of hope, oh, give me a night in June. All you gotta do any old night when you're feeling out of tune, take up your hat, close up your flat, get out and get under the moon. It cost Universal Pictures two million dollars, and a few years later. It was a major reason for why the studio went into receivership. I have no evidence to support the conversations that took place with the director, John Anderson, and Carl Jr., Universal's president. But after having watched this entire movie, it's obvious no one could say no. Enough wasn't enough. The movie is a constant stream of extravagant performances, single numbers that would make the cost of a Puccini opera Turando blush with understatement. It's common knowledge to stage a classical opera. The costs are enormous. To put on an opera, the amount of money required to have the most talented artists, singers, dancers, set designers, stagehands, expert costume designers, seamstress, makeup artists, and God knows what else, is necessary. It's a very expensive process, and it requires brilliant people to put it on in theaters that can only be described as palaces. Just one scene from the King of Jazz would bankrupt the most expensive opera performance. Just the costumes for the nearly 30 performances would bankrupt Sony Studios today. And that's to say, to make some movies today can cost over $200 million. And in 1930, the king of jazz probably employed thousands of people. And I think I'm safe in saying Probably all of the people involved in that production were gifted, creative people. I believe in that. I believe artists can combat the destructive forces of consumerism. Artists can bring us back from the artificial intelligence that's doing harm to us and our relationship to the natural world. I believe in the musicians that perform on streets struggling to survive. 
Once, while traveling by train in Sicily, it stopped at a small rural depot. I opened the window to hear the depot's office playing music from Bizet's Carmen Suite. I said, my God, it's beautiful. That wasn't enough, and it can never be enough. The king of jazz was made as America was living in a depression. And today we're building something that's a false hope, an attempt to make us consumers and not creators. The 1930 king of jazz was made by very creative people, and yet to the outside world, it said enough. Today, consumerism keeps playing enough isn't enough. Consume more. Never think about creating. Artificial intelligence will do the thinking for you. Well, that can never stand. Universal Pictures couldn't see the limits while people were being thrown out of work, houses being foreclosed, and that war was on the horizon. You want me to entertain you so you can forget about what's happening to you. Well, I won't do that. You believe enough isn't enough in the consumerist world. Well, I believe enough is enough. I want creativity, not consuming. I want to see the beauty of a river, not how much money it can bring. This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard Paul Whiteman's orchestra, Nothing But. Then you heard a recording of Whiteman's orchestra and the Rhythm Boys with Bing Crosby and Irene Taylor, Mississippi Mud. Then a short piece 
of Whiteman's rendition of I'll Build a Stairway to Paradise, followed by Get Out and Get Under the Moon, featuring Bing Crosby. Finally, a piece from George Bizet's 1874 composition, Carmen, a year before his death at the age of 36. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.